Hello, welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Tuesday afternoon. Joining us from Camden, New Jersey at the Philadelphia 76ers facility. I can't remember if it's got a name, Tim Bontevis. Is there an official name for it? I honestly don't remember. I just <laughs> I'm just I just know I'm the big winner today. <laughs> right. Well, you and James Harden. Uh, joining us from Seattle, I can't remember what uh, suburb you live in, Kevin Pelton. So the machine Kevin Pelton from the PAC Northwest. I, I am here in the city of Seattle in West Seattle. West Seattle. West Seattle used to be called Puget Sound, I believe. That's what that is. All right, Bontemps, well, you uh, barged your way onto the pod today because uh, we weren't going to have you on, but then there was a little move with the Sixers uh, finding James Harden. Um, which I think we're all happy about, maybe not as much as James Harden himself. I just wanted to hear you spend some time with the Sixers after their practice today and what the takeaways, the initial takeaways were that you can tell us about. Well, it's been kind of a weird thing with the Sixers the whole time, guys, because James Harden has sort of been here but not here the whole time. I don't believe he's ever done any live five-on-five work uh, at any point over the past month. So it's not like he certainly didn't play in any games. So it's not like the Sixers really have to dramatically adjust what they've been doing. So from that standpoint, there isn't a lot to change. Obviously, the big change is James Harden is no longer here. And the specter of James Harden being here or not being here, or what's happening or where is he going to go or what's, when's he going to get traded or what the team is going to look like, that's all gone. But, you know, Tyrese Maxey comes over today to talk after practice and says that the team has done a good job of keeping the main thing the main thing. Over the past month, which which is a Pat Rileyism, and I would agree with. And Nick Nurse has said pretty consistently the whole time that A, the team has been pretty focused, and B, the only time they've really had to deal with it is when they get asked a few questions about it with the media, and then they go back to doing what they're doing on a daily basis. So I think the most significant I'm not sure that's true because it was a distraction when he didn't show up two weeks ago. It was a distraction when he did show up and then tried the shenanigans with coming to get on the plane. All of that's and there was in today it was like, is he gonna be here or not? So like I'm not saying it like bothered them or affected them on the scoreboard, but right. And I agree with you. But I mean, his whether he's gonna be there or not, at least occupied some of the thinking of that organization. No, no day. question. Yeah, no question. I, I'm not trying to say it was a zero impact thing, but I, I just think overall, I think it's less of an impact on them than it would seem from the outside. Because I, I think especially after James left, I think in the middle of camp, I sort of think everybody here assumed this was what the eventual outcome was going to be. I don't think there was a lot of planning for James Harden to play 80 games with the Sixers this season, especially at that point. Maybe when he came back and was engaged the he first not, couple he, of days he, of he camp, now could only play 79 because they that's played right. <laughs> that's right. So I, I, I just that I guess that's why it's kind of a strange thing. Is that it's? I don't think it's a situation where it's not like he's been playing with the team and been on the court and they have to radically shift stuff. But I do think what it does say more than anything, and I, I think it's pretty noteworthy that Tyrese Maxey is the one who came over and talked. Like this is a Joel Embiid Tyrese Maxey team now, and I think Tyrese Maxey is going to be an All Star this year. I think he's off to a great start, and I think this trade is as much a signal that the Sixers are putting their eggs in the Tyrese Maxey basket as it is them setting themselves up to make further moves down the road to put pieces around him and Joel Embiid. Okay, so I'm not sure we could ever get an honest answer to this question. Um, But I believe that 
James Harden's actions slash behavior over this last month and really since the summer did contribute to getting him what he wanted. Um, this is why I don't know. Like the Sixers could come out and say the reason that the trade happened today was because today was when the Clippers delivered the package that they wanted. But I believe that the uncertainty about what Harden was going to do these next couple of days played a role. Now, maybe that could be denied. Maybe it was 6%, maybe it was 28%, whatever. But I think his actions, and because they'd been down this path before, is he going to practice? Is he going to play? Is he going to ramp up? What's he going to do? I believe that that contributed on some level to this getting done now. I don't know if you agree with that, me, Bontemps, but I think as James Harden boards that plane to LA, he's got to think that his process ultimately worked. I want to get Pelton in, so I'm not going to say too much. All I'm going to all I'm going to say is on Sunday's Monday's pod, I said I thought we would have clarity on the situation by Thursday. I did not. I, I'm not saying that to say I thought the trade was going to happen in the next two days. I didn't, but I did think one way or the other we were going to know whether James Harden was going to play games for the Sixers in the short term and what this is going to look like in the medium term by this game Thursday and after maybe as soon as practice today. And I think everybody with the organization was ready for there to be certainty. And I think to your point about, you know, yes, Nick Nurse can say this was a thing that they only had to talk about a few minutes a day at practice. And Tyrese Maxey can say, we've done a good job of staying focused, which I do think they have. At the end of the day, everybody was ready for this to be over. The franchise and I believe the coaching staff in the front office are ready to give this team to Tyrese Maxey as its point guard. They have now done that. And now we will see where things go from here. Kevin Pelton, I think James Harden is stands alone amongst anybody in NBA history as the greatest trade demander in the history of the sport. Please feel free to, dis, to, to dispute that. I mean, certainly among star players, he has to be up there, right? And, and you know, role players only have so much leverage to... Uh, demand trades. So yeah, I think that's a reasonable assessment without doing a, a full sweep of NBA history. I mean, I think, you know, the machine to, doesn't have to compute <laughs> to your point, you know, Wendy, I think if you look at the the structure of this deal, it feels like it ended up pretty similarly, similar to what we've been hearing about for a period of time, because there was reporting out there that the Clippers were trying to use a third team to convert a swap into a full first round pick, which is the role that the Oklahoma City Thunder ended up playing in this deal. Like it doesn't feel like the Clippers necessarily upped their their offer dramatically based on what they've seen in the first few days of the season. So it feels like it's more about the Sixers side and the combination of what's happened with Harden. And then also what Tim was talking about that Tyrese Maxey, Eastern Conference Player of the Week, has looked so good right now that I think if you're the Sixers, you feel even more strongly than you did coming into the season about your ability to, you know, remain near the top of the East standings, even without Harden in the lineup. I do think the interesting thing is, you know, to Tim's point, yeah, Harden may not be a big change from what the Sixers are doing. They did trade a starter in this deal as well in, in PJ Tucker and kind of swapped out basically a quarter of their roster. And it's going to be interesting to see who fills the role that he was playing, whether it's, you know, Nick Batum, whether it's Robert Covington, I suppose Marcus Morris Sr., who hasn't been playing for the Sixers, and then KJ Martin. KJ Martin. Martin yeah, who's theory. maybe the most interesting part of this deal from the Sixers standpoint, getting him and an extremely low cap hold for next summer if they do go ahead with this 
cap space plan that, that we've been hearing about for so long. Okay. So you had two different waves of trade grades for this. Um, um, this is one of those. So if you guys have listened to Pelton on the past, trade grades are very interesting for all of us to read and to some organizations, extremely important. Uh, I would say more than uh, some organizations. I okay. hear about Kevin's grades from all sorts of teams. I hear about them from like years in the past. Like, well, you know, Pelton gave us a C plus on that blah, blah, blah deal. What year was that? 2017. But nonetheless. Um, People so respect Pelton, the machine as they should. Pelton, give us what your initial grades were. Also, I wish you could just su summarize for the listeners what was in exactly in the deal and give us the trades that you made and then the revision that you made also after all, all was known. Yeah, so we mentioned the four players heading Philadelphia's direction, all of whom have expiring contracts and fitting with the, the Sixers' plan of maintaining cap space as an option for next summer. Uh, the, the Sixers send James Harden, P.J. Tucker, uh, Philippe Petrushev, a, uh, you know, a former second-round pick they had brought over this season to the Clippers, also apparently are going to waive Danny Green, whose contract was not non-guaranteed to clear the roster spot they need to make this deal. And then in terms of the pick compensation, you know, the Clippers send a 2027 swap to Oklahoma City. I haven't seen this specifically reported, but seems likely that will be for one of, you know, multiple picks the Thunder can have this season, although their own, you know, might be the weakest of them by that point, the, the best to swap. Uh, then the Sixers also, the Clippers get send a 2029 swap to Philadelphia, which owns its 29 pick outright. And then a 2028 unprotected first round pick to Philadelphia. And then the Sixers get a 2026 pick, the weakest of, you know, multiple picks from Oklahoma city. So they end up with two first round picks and a swap. The Thunder get the one swap and give up a first round pick. So I think the key from the pick standpoint Start to finish, the Clippers send the expiring contracts one first and two swaps to get James Harden. The Sixers acquire two first round picks, two second round picks, and a swap. Um, uh, Oklahoma City um, basically lays off the um, uh, the the they they basically swap out. The uh, the possibility of a of a higher swap situation in 2027 to get rid of the worst of the three picks they have in this draft. Um, I had a absolute knockdown dragout situation with Bontemps earlier on the phone because I didn't like what Oklahoma City did, but I didn't have a key piece of information. I thought okay. that the <laughs> six that the oh, dear. Thunder. We're trading the 2020. I thought that they were trading their worst pick in 2026, not their worst pick in 2024. I thought they were trading their worst pick in 2026. Um, so why are you looking at me that way, Bontemps? Because I'm not now. I'm now. I'm confused as to what you've changed your mind about. Yeah, I still think it's 2026, isn't it? It is. I thought you said 2000. I, I thought it was. I thought it was no, this year's picks. No. no. 
No. All right, and then I'm back to where I was. All right, forget about that. All right, uh, Pelton, I mean, 2026 is is better for Oklahoma City though because the chances. I know of them we're not going to talk about good. that right now. I want your. Oh grades. God. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I graded this, you know, at uh, a little past midnight Pacific time last night when this first broke, and you know, had a a B minus for the Clippers, a B for the Sixers. I don't like you know, fleeced was trending on Twitter last night. I don't really understand. Fleeced that. in all caps, <laughs> not just the word fleeced. Fleeced in all caps, sir. <laughs> and I, I didn't even investigate who, who had the time to figure out which side people got fleeced in this. But it seemed like a, you know, a reasonable value for both sides. I, I think, you know, the Sixers surely would have preferred to get that 2030 unprotected pick from the Clippers as the second full first round pick they got in this trade because of the fact that that would have had, you know, huge upside when you go that far out on a team that is you know, led by players in their mid thirties who are not going to be around in 2030, but uh, you know, still this gives the Sixers now three tradable first round picks. The two that they got in this deal, their own pick in 2030 is tradable. And, you know, whether that's enough to go out and land a star with all these expiring contracts they have, if they decide to go that direction, I don't know, but it gives them some optionality, including, you know, one thing I wrote about in the the, the grade is, you know, one thing they could do here is if you feel like you need to upgrade this year's team to try to win while Joel Embiid is in his MVP prime, you know, you potentially go out and add another player on an expiring contract, Buddy Heald came to mind, but I didn't go through the full list, who helps you more now, but also allows you still to have that flexibility in free agency next summer. Right. So how, how did you amend the grades? You know, I didn't necessarily change their grades at all. I feel a little better about it. I think from the the Clippers standpoint, knowing what we know, and, and maybe a, you know, it was a little bit weaker from Philadelphia's standpoint if they're getting the the worst of these multiple picks from Oklahoma City in 2026. But I think the more important thing for them was just kind of the number of first round picks that they can go out and offer another team, having that three total first round picks. And I know, agree. the swap was not useful to them in 27 because they don't necessarily own their 2027 first round pick. Right. So did you give a grade to the Thunder? I, I think the Thunder got the best grade in this deal. I, I gave them an A because it's just a <laughs> it's just an upside. Play I'm not laughing that. at you, Kevin. I'm not I, laughing. Oh, I know. I'm not laughing at you. <laughs> I know that you're laughing at uh, your your argument with Brian about this earlier. Uh, I mean, from the Thunder standpoint, like you have so many first round picks already that a pick that's probably in the 20s is only so valuable to them. You know, they're they're going for the moonshot here of well, if the Clippers are no good in 2027 and we can swap a pick in the 20s for one in the lottery, then that's a much bigger deal for us. Right. So I don't want to get into the machinations of pick maneuvering because I just don't think it's that important. But Brian doesn't like we'll asset see. probability. He does not like it. Well, I don't like trading an unprotected pick for a swap. I I I I I applaud the Clippers for taking a swap and turning it into a tradable first round pick that greased the skids to get James Harden. Um, I understand why the, the Thunder did what they did because they have frankly so many first round picks that they now have to try to convert the quantity of first round picks to higher quality and, and, you know, sort of swing for the fences, which is why, you know, a couple of years ago, two years ago, when they had that Houston pick, they either were going to get the fifth pick in the draft or not get the pick at all. As the first proceeds from that Westbrook deal, the pick was top mm -hmm. four protected. Houston ended up holding on to it. The Thunder were okay with that because they would rather have had a real bite at the apple at a number five pick 
versus maybe getting the 17th pick. You know, it was worth it to them. The way the Thunder look at um, uh, pick asset management is different than how you'd look at it in a vacuum. They have traded heavily to move up in the last couple of drafts. They can do that, uh, you know, overpay, so to speak, because they have the, the assets to do it and they can only use so many picks. I get why, why they did it. But I also say terrific maneuver for the Clippers to take a swap and turn it into a first round pick. To, to, you know, they were holding the, the Thunder were holding an unprotected pick and turned it into an unprotected swap. Granted, it could potentially end up being better, but that's not a maneuver that we normally see. So, but I don't, but I, I don't want to go into the weeds on that because there's more important stuff to talk about out front. Yeah. There. All I'll say on it is I think it worked out well for everybody. The Thunder get the higher side swing. Clippers are able to keep their pick, which they can then use in another deal. And the Sixers, who are pick poor, as Kevin said, now get two picks that they can put with theirs, and now they have three to move around. So I think while it is a unique thing, and normally a team wouldn't do what Oklahoma City did in a vacuum, I do think it was the right thing for everybody, and it makes a lot of sense. So here's let me say where the Clippers are right now. The Clippers are in a situation that I think, and if you think I'm wrong and I'm not remembering something because my memory is getting worse by the day, you tell me where I've where I may have overlooked something. Tell me another situation in modern NBA history, which I guess we'll say is the 21st century, um, where a team has had three superstar players all in the final year of their contract. That is what the Clippers have right now. Obviously, uh, I know heat, Paul George. The heat that you covered, no? I guess they all had opt-out ability. That's true. They did. But it wasn't. There's one. Yeah, it feels a little different, though. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just. I'm just giving you a hard time because no, that's a good. That's, answer, that's a good retort. But, but the idea that they've got. Th Here's the thing: there was not a question of whether the Heat was going to offer Chris Bosh or LeBron James a max contract, max years, max money. Right. You just didn't know what there they was, were going to do. Right. There is a measure of prove it from the Clippers now that they have with Kawhi, Paul George, and James Harden. <laughs> More Hoop Collective podcast after this. I think this is an advantageous position. I think this highly leverages these guys. I think the Clippers are, are going to get maybe the best that James Harden can give. Out of everything that's been said about James Harden this last six weeks, no one has said that he wasn't in shape. No one has said that he was out on the court. He wasn't focused. I think you're going to see a really good Highly motivated James Harden. I think the Clippers have put themselves in a position where they are going to get star players who maybe have not been as incentivized in recent years to be highly incentivized to go for it. And I think at the end of it, no matter what happened in the machinations on the trade, that puts them in a position, Bontemps, that is advantageous. Yeah, I mean, look, they, they certainly have put themselves in a position to get the best out of James Harden over the next six months. And... No, we'll see what version of James Harden they get. I mean, certainly James was very good last year for Philly. If he can play somewhere near that level, it will be a very good thing for the Clippers. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's it's going to be a fascinating situation because even though Kawhi Leonard has won multiple finals MVPs and multiple championships, you look at where the Clippers are and for all of the attention that has been given to them since the the Kawhi signing and the PG trade back in 2019 with the Thunder, which is part of why this 
uh, pick swap and deal happen today because that all goes back to the Paul George trade. At the end of the day, this team has not accomplished anywhere near what it was supposed to. And there is sort of a last chance saloon feeling to this team. And it's why these guys are all in expiring contracts. Not that they're all going to leave, but that they all sort of have the same pressure of it's put up or shut up time for different reasons for all of them. And it will be really interesting to see how that manifests itself over the season. If they're able to stay healthy, if they're able to play at a high level, and most importantly, what they look like in the playoffs, because for both Paul George and James Harden, this is maybe their final best opportunity to erase a lot of the things that have dogged them throughout what have been Hall of Fame careers for both of them, probably, certainly James Harden's case, probably for Paul George. I agree. Uh, and that they haven't got it done at the very highest level in the playoffs, despite getting to some conference finals, despite having some success, they haven't quite gotten over the finish line. And now all of them together, it's it certainly is a team that's set up pretty well to be near the top of the West if everything clicks right and would be a fascinating matchup with Denver with some of the things that uh, the Clippers can do. And now we'll just have to see how it all looks over the next few months. Yeah, Pelton. So the the, the Clippers have been very aggressive in trying to get a, um, a high-level playmaker for the last four months. Um, looking at a number of point guards, what does acquiring Harden do for them with what they also have uh, in their lineup? Yeah, I think that advantageous position and the motivation for James Harden to go to the Clippers is going to be important because he's going to go to the same kind of role, presumably, that he seemed to chafe at at the end of last season in Philadelphia in terms of you know being more of a pass-first playmaker at point guard and uh, then, you know, kind of the the do everything, make every decision, the offense begins and ends with me player that he was with the Houston Rockets. You know, you drop him into a situation where you've got two high usage players already in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And, you know, I thought one of the things I, I pointed out in the story is, you know, even though he potentially replaces Russell Westbrook in the starting lineup, and it'll be interesting to see how the Clippers handle that. Westbrook's usage rate this year has dropped precipitously because of the fact that he's playing with both of those guys. He's only, you know, finishing 17% of the Clippers plays while he does on the court thus far, a below average rate for a player. So they're going to need Harden to be able to stay happy in that kind of role and, and be willing to, you know, be somewhat active off the ball when Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are playing with it. But if, from, you know, the George and Kawhi standpoint and them having the ball less, which is inevitable. It seems like something that they welcome and have wanted for a period of time. You, you know, you say the last four months, but you go back to last year when they thought John Wall was going to be this guy to change things around. And then Westbrook himself was also a shot at, you know, a guy who can be a playmaker, is going to handle the ball a lot more than Reggie Jackson and and uh, you know, Patrick Beverly to go back to the first year and the, you know, kind of off-ball complementary point guards that the Clippers have had throughout this run. So it's a it's a very different look for a team that kind of like Boston to a degree that we've seen, you know, be an issue for them in the playoffs in past years, when you're relying so heavily on wings to be your lead ball handlers, sometimes there is a deficit of passing and playmaking created by that. And you add James Harden, it's certainly going to help in that regard. Yeah. And PJ Tucker also gives them a small ball center option, which they didn't really have. I mean, they would, they would try Nick Batum and some other guys in that role, but PJ, has had a lot of success doing that, gives him a different option that way. And to your point, Kevin, it also, in theory, shifts Russell Westbrook to the bench, which if Russell Westbrook is okay with that, 
which if he's not, I mean, I would, I had some suggestions on what the Clippers should do about that, but assuming he's on board with that, and I would expect that he is given how this has been going on for quite a while. And it's certainly, I, been think, a possibility. The, I think some of the parties have been discussing this since like June or July. Correct. So, so I, I certainly would yeah. expect him to be on board with it. And I think this is the better role for Westbrook to be in anyway, him coming off the bench, having the ball a bunch when he's on the court, giving those guys a blow when they're not out there, and then theoretically not being out there at the end of games and having James Harden, who's a much better shooter, out there at the end of games instead of him. It, it should be a much better look for the Clippers on a nightly basis, assuming everybody from a chemistry standpoint is good with that. So the Clippers were able to get this deal done with only giving up one first-round pick, 2029-2028, and they kept Terrence Mann. Terrence Mann is a guy who's been discussed a lot recently for a guy who's a, you know, a backup player, just keeping Terrence Mann, Pelton, does that do anything for you uh, on how this team would align? Yeah. I mean, certainly if you're looking at how this team projects the rest of the season into the playoffs, like he's someone who's been starting for them. It'll be interesting to see again, whether that continues or whether PJ Tucker moves into the starting lineup. Uh, You know, Tucker is a low usage kind of role player fits if you've got James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George all in your starting lineup. But at the same time, like he is not much of an offensive threat at this stage of his career. And man is more so. We you go back to that uh Utah series back in 2021 that was kind of the high point for this Clippers organization since they got Paul George. I mean it's the high point of the the franchise going back to Buffalo. They hadn't never made the conference finals. So you know, from that standpoint, it has to be. He was a huge part of that with his ability to make plays in a well-spaced floor. So if you think about him as part of these smaller lineups with Tucker as a a five where you're switching everything and creating a lot of space because everybody on the court can shoot threes, Terrence Mann fits really well into lineups like that. So, you know, I think holding on to him, I I mean, I'm not going to say it makes or breaks this Clippers season, but it makes them a stronger playoff threat. Well, and quite frankly, the Clippers still potentially could have another move. They still have Norm Powell. They still have Terrence Mann. They still have a 2030 first round pick that they could trade. They have an endless, this, by the way, this trade added $24 million in luxury tax payments to them, but they still have, you know, the power of the, 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 the pocketbook. They didn't exhaust everything here. You know, I don't know what that would be. It will also be interesting to see what happens with Bones Highland. Bones Highland, early in this season with Terrence Mann out with injury, has played pretty well. He's been shooting the ball well. He's been getting quite a bunch of minutes. It's a guy that they added at the deadline last year, basically because the Clipper, the uh, Nuggets wanted rid of, him, rid of him. So I don't know. I don't want to you know delve you know down to the seventh eighth man situation. But in addition to Westbrook, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Bone, Bones Highland. With, with the changing roles. So you got to see how Harden handles it, Westbrook handles it. And look, Bones Highland made a, made a problem of himself in Denver last year. So I do think that's worth noting at the very least. Bontemps for the, the Sixers, obviously Tyrese Maxey's been playing great. Obviously they're going to potentially make another move in the, in the medium term here. How do you think they're going to play now that they've swapped out P.J. Tucker and have the, the selection of forwards and in theory, a little bit more depth for Nick Nurse. Yeah, I mean, I would guess that Nick Batum will probably be the guy that starts at power forward. Maybe it'll be Kelly Oubre. Maybe in time it's K.J. Martin if he does develop. I think I'm with Kevin that he certainly is an interesting guy for them going forward. But I think this is much more about 
the trade deadline and next season than even right now for the Sixers. I mean, I think this team is going to be good. I think they're going to win around 50 games, assuming that Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey stay healthy because they won around 50 games a couple of years ago with a worse supporting cast uh, around Joel Embiid, including Tyrese Maxey being two years younger and being significantly better now. Um, I think guys like Tobias Harris have been in, engaged and encouraged by being asked to shoot the ball more, to be more aggressive, to be more involved than they were with James Harden under Doc Rivers last year when obviously James and Joel were dominating a lot of the ball and then Tyrese is getting it pretty much the rest of the time. So I think that in, Kelly Oubre has played through the preseason in the first three games, the best basketball of his career so far at both ends of the court. So I certainly think that the Sixers are in good shape to be competitive this year, but this is about giving them the opportunity, both at the trade deadline and next summer, to add high-level players either in trade. They now have three first-round picks to trade. They have somewhere around $100 million in expiring contracts on their roster now to trade. Um, they've got a ton of flexibility from that standpoint. And it's also just a huge bet on Tyrese Maxey because, again, this is about Joel Embiid wanting to be here for the long term. And I think the best thing from Philadelphia's standpoint to make that happen is for Tyrese Maxey to be an all-star this year, to go into next summer as a bona fide max salary star-level player that did not get extended uh, this past month, not because the Sixers aren't fans of him, because they're saving money to use it next summer in free agency or by a trade between now and then to have more flexibility because it'll probably save him 20 or $25 million in salary cap space because he won't be under contract. Just in general, this is about giving Daryl Morey the highest upside possible to build the kind of championship level team you want to have around Joel Embiid to keep him here for the long term. And you can even argue that not having James Harden under contract for the next three years might even up their variability in terms of being able to do that because at the end of that deal, James Harden probably is not going to be worth that. Now, that is not some galaxy brain reason that we're sitting here in this situation. And I've been wanting to bang my head against the wall for four months dealing with this Harden situation. That was an intractable I mean, mess. They would have signed Harden to, to a multi-year no, deal. No question. That's what I'm saying. This isn't, I'm not saying that as like, this is some yeah. seven dimensional chess that the Sixers played here. That's not the case. I mean, they, they made the best of a bad situation today to move forward. But I do think that a lot of this comes down to your belief in Tyrese Maxey and how good he can be. Because if he can be an all-star level, borderline all-NBA level guard, like if he's Darius Garland last year, this year, and makes the all-star team, and is a guy who's talked about as an all-NBA guard, and he's 23 years old and a super fun, young personality and a, a young, bright star in the league, that makes this look a lot different going forward for the Sixers with Joel Embiid than, well, you've got Joel Embiid, some nice pieces, and then maybe you can get some guys next summer in free agency, as opposed well, to you've got, a, you've got a lock-solid number two guy with them. So it's it's really hard to project what the Sixers are going to have in free agency because we don't know if they're going to make another trade during the year that will add to their books. Pelton a little bit ago suggested the possibility of trading for a player who's got also got an expiring contract. You mentioned Buddy Heald. I'll throw out another one. Not that I'm saying that this is what they want to do, but I'll just throw out a name. DeMar DeRozan, okay? Another player who they could trade for and, and not be committed long-term. So it's hard to exactly know what they're going to do until we know their next move. But right now, they could have enough salary cap space to sign a maximum contract player and still re-sign Tyrese Maxey. Uh, they might even be able to sign a max player and another significant free agent and sign 
Ty- uh, Tyrese. Yeah, they, they, they right now are going to have somewhere around $60 million in cap space as of now, because part of this trade by moving PJ Tucker, they remove his player option from their books. And depending on what they do with Jaden Springer, who they haven't picked up his option yet. I don't believe as of, uh, as of today, um, Which right is now the deadline the old, to do it today is the yes. deadline, right? Tuesday, uh, Halloween. Um, if they do not pick up his option, they have one player under contract for next season. And that is the league MVP, Joel Embiid. Okay, so here are the here are the free agents. That's here are the free here are the free agents next year. Just very early look, just to throw them out there. You've got Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Both of them have contract options, but if they don't pick them up, they will be unrestricted free agents. I do not see them going anywhere, but I don't know what's going to happen, so I have to put them on the board. You have Pascal Siakam, who has not made a contract extension with the Raptors, and that situation in Toronto is. Looking difficult. They're off to a poor start. They're one and three. And OG Ananobi also in Toronto. Another free agent. Yeah, I haven't gotten there yet. OG Ananobi. So Siakam and Ananobi. Nobody loses free agents recently like the Raptors. So they obviously could be traded somewhere to a team with who wants to keep them. But um, those are, are two guys as well. James Harden. They keep coming back. Bring him back. Uh, <laughs> no, that's Drew the Holiday, galaxy bread. <laughs> sure is. I think it's likely that Drew Holiday... Will extend his contract with the with the Celtics when he's available, when he's eligible to uh, later this season. I think it's in February. Having said that, right now he's an unrestricted free agent uh, for next year. Um, I mentioned DeRozan. He is also uh, the possibility he could extend in Chicago. Hard to know what will happen there. Clay Thompson has not extended. Could extend. Do I think Clay Thompson is leaving a free agency? I do not. But I am compelled to put him on this list. Then there's some, you know, restricted guys, uh, you know, who in theory, you know, could be signed an offer sheet like Emmanuel quickly, which doesn't make sense on a number of fronts. And I think the Knicks would match, but, um, you know, Buddy healed. Um, so it's, there's Mike Conley. There's some interesting names out there. I don't know how many of them will truly be free agents. I'm not, sh- you know, there's many different ways to use salary cap space. You don't just have to sign them with free agents. You can use it in other ways. You can use it in trades. Um, but uh, I'm not sure that the Sixers, I think the Sixers just want to like their options. And the way that they structured this trade gives them options. It gives them options for moves within this season, and it gives them options for moves next summer. Um, not sure, Bontemps, whether you feel like any of those guys are free agents that they're super duper targeting. Yeah, I think this is much more about just having the ability, like you said, to go a lot of different ways. Let's see who's available between now and the trade deadline. I mean, look, the two guys you didn't mention who are going to be free agents because they're not signed are DeAnthony Melton and Tobias Harris, two good players that are on the Sixers. If they trade for somebody between now and the deadline and sign them, you can use the bird rights for Tobias and DeAnthony Melton to re-sign those guys. Like they just, they have the ability to do a lot of different things. And look, like at the end of the day, Daryl Morey really wanted to get James Harden, right? He went and got James Harden. And this entire mess is on Daryl Morey to some degree. I would say James Harden is at most fault for the way this played out and it, that it probably should have gone differently. But Daryl Morey deserves blame for that. He's the one who brought James Harden here. He's the one who wanted him to be the co-star to Joel Embiid. It did not work out. And now it's going to be on Daryl Morey to find a way to make this work between now and next summer to get the kind of pieces around Maxi and Embiid to have this team be truly a championship contending level team and not just a 
decent team, decent to good to very good team in the East, which they are right now. Like they're probably somewhere between three and five or six in the East. And it's a much more competitive East than it used to be, but they're not seen as they're not on the same tier as the Celtics. They're most people don't see them on the same tier as the Bucks. They're down with the Cavs and the Knicks and these other teams. And it's on Daryl's plate now to change that and to get them back near the top of the East. And Daryl has shown over time, whatever else you want to say about him, he has shown a very good ability to creatively go out and find star players and find talent and upgrade his teams. He's done it time and again. People didn't expect Chris Paul to wind up uh, with the Rockets. They nearly got Chris Bosh at one point. Um, they didn't. I mean, he obviously went and got James Harden in the first place. I mean, he has a long track record of getting players. So it's on him to do it again and to get this team back up another level. And I think today's move, I think, gets them in position to potentially do that. And now we have to just wait and see what the results are between now and next July. So Pelton, two years ago, not quite two years ago, when the 76ers acquired James Harden, that deadline day deal with the Nets, um, you gave the 76ers a C minus. Um, that deal, they got Harden and Paul Millsap. They gave up Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond. They're 2022 first, which I think they actually deferred till this last year, and a 2027 first, which they haven't given yet, which is top eight protected. You didn't like that deal. You gave the Sixers a C minus. When you look at the way these two deals, I'm not saying you have to put a grade on it, but when you look at what they gave for Harden and what they got for Harden, um, maybe even what they got out of Harden, how do you evaluate this entire situation? That has happened with Harden, this coming and going, considering all everything that everything that you've seen. I think it probably worked out better than I anticipated because you know, one of the big concerns I expressed in there, and like obviously the C minus looks ridiculous in hindsight when you compare what's happened to Ben Simmons after that to James Harden. But I think the one thing you have to consider is what else could the Sixers have done trading Ben Simmons at that point for someone who was younger? I mean. Was Tyrese Halliburton an option for them? That would have been a, a very different scenario, certainly, than yes. uh, has played out. But the big concern I foresaw with adding Harden is, look, either you're going to have to re-sign him to a big long-term contract that may not age very well, or you're going to lose him in free agency. And they did find a middle path on accident, I think, between those two, where because of the fact that they were unwilling to give Harden that you know long-term contract that he wanted last summer, he opts in to the second year of the one plus one deal that he had signed. And that allows them to, you know, trade him, not take on any long-term money and recoup some of the draft pick value. I think you'd still, as the Sixers, rather have that 2027 of your own first round pick because it's always better to have your own first round picks than short someone else's. But, you know, that, that 2028 Clippers pick, that might not be too bad. I think teams out out there are going to have a lot of interest in it. And, you know, they've, they've put themselves in it. It's, it's been a pretty good save, I think, of the Harden situation to, to get this, this package in return. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Bontemps, Daryl Morey emerges very bloody, but it's not the worst arbitrage in the history of the NBA. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it, this is going to, you know, it's a two-step thing, right? He got through this and the, 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 the judgment of this is going to come over the next 12 months. And if we're sitting here next Halloween and the Sixers are in the same place they are now 
a good but not great team in the East, then that's going to be a a bit of a, I would say, more than a bit of a failure on his part. And there's going to be a lot of questions about Joel Embiid's future. And if they have added talent and they're better off than they are today from a talent standpoint, whatever that looks like, and they're seen as a team that's right there at the top of the East with the Celtics and, you know, assuming everybody's still in Milwaukee, Milwaukee and whoever else is there, then I think you'll say that he was able to successfully navigate this. But it it's until we see what happens at the trade deadline and what happens next summer, no disrespect to Kevin's grading because he's grading it in the moment. I think you have to grade this for the, the Sixers in particular as incomplete because this is really going to be what can they turn this into? Because look, what is what has Daryl Morey said on the record since the summertime, right? He was either going to trade James Harden for a star or for the assets that could allow them to get one down the road. So they because they ended up with the latter path, they didn't end up with Drew Holiday. They didn't end up with one of these other guys. It was an immediate fix. So we will see over the next several months whether they're able to get themselves that kind of guy or if they end up with something less than that. And if they do end up with something less than that, what the consequences of that are. You were with the Sixers in training camp in Colorado Springs. You were at their season opener in Milwaukee. You were at their game with the Blazers the other night, their home opener. You were with them at practice today. Based on what you've said to me and your reporting that I've read and watched, I don't think you think the Sixers are in that bad of a place right now emotionally. And that they might have weathered this storm. I know that they need to do another move, but they may have weathered this storm, which is what it was, uh, as best they could have. I think they needed to do something by Thursday. Not necessarily a trade, but there needed to be resolution of this before this Raptors game. I wasn't saying that on the pod, just from, you know, just looking at it. Yeah, like I mean, they, basically something we thought might happen might be that they would declare Tyrese Max their starting point guard and send James Harden home. Yeah, We're not going to find you, but go home. Yeah, they couldn't live in this world where you just didn't know what was going to happen indefinitely. And you had James coming and going and maybe playing and maybe not playing. I mean, they wanted him to play. And I think in a perfect world, Harden he would doing have that forced that. Harden, Harden setting that yeah. environment forced that that move. Yeah, no, look, he definitely, he definitely, this lines up with him getting what he wanted in the end. Uh, but I do think the combination of needing some certainty and look, I don't think it's I I don't know this for sure, but I don't think it's a coincidence. This happens the day after Tyrese Maxey is named Eastern Conference Player of the Week, has a fantastic first three games, and looks like he's going to be an all-star. Like it it's easier to make this move when you can say we have an all-star point guard on the team that we can now give the ball to and let him play 37 minutes a game and run the team every day. And, you know, Nick Nurse, even today, talking after practice, talked a lot about how he still has a lot of growing to do as a point guard. Tyrese has not really been a point guard for a while. He's mostly played off the ball. He's played some on the ball. And all summer, he's got his playmaking. That was the thing going back to the end of last season. Everybody was focused on. Can he take steps forward as a playmaker? Now, he's going to have the ball in his hands all the time. He's going to have to do this all the time. And it could, in the long run, work out really well for him. But we just have to see where it plays out on all these fronts, whether the Sixers are able to get there. But yeah, look, I think they if they have been able to keep it sort of out of sight, out of mind, I think for the most part. And I do think they're in a good place. I do think Joel Embiid is happy. I think that the team in general is happy. And, you know, we wait to see what the next crisis is in Sixers land because there's been one crisis after another for a decade. And I'm sure there'll be more.
Enjoy it. Enjoy I-95. Thank you, Pelton, for your time. Thank you to Jackson, our producer. Thank you for listening to Collective Podcast. We'll be back later this week and talk to you soon.